Welcome to episode 33 of How About Them Huskies. I'm Connor, joined by Matt, Andrew, and Matt. And today we have a massive episode, probably the biggest and best, not longest, but biggest and best episode in the history of this podcast, all 33 episodes. For the sixth time in program history, UConn is headed to the final four. They won the West region. They beat Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. They crushed them by 28 points. It was a blowout. I mean, complete domination all through that West region. They beat Iona, St. Mary's, Arkansas, Gonzaga by an average of over 20 points. It was something we really haven't seen in a long time, maybe even ever by, especially a UConn team, maybe even any other team in general. I mean, dominant through the whole entire region. And that sets up a matchup in the final four in Houston this weekend with the Miami Hurricanes, the number five seed up in the upper right-hand region. Miami beat Houston in the Sweet 16. They beat Texas in the Elite Eight, and they got to Houston. And this is going to be a tough matchup. We're going to preview it. But first, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on that Gonzaga game, that blowout. What do, what do you guys – how do you feel? Overall domination uh, is the only way to put it. Uh, it's been a trend throughout this entire tournament. We kept it going. We needed The players that we needed to show up did, uh, regardless of efficiency. Sonogo, 3 of 11. Uh, Hawkins, what was he, 6 of 15. Uh, they got it done. Uh, we made the three-point shots. We did everything that we've been doing this whole time, and we're playing to this kind of, you know, motive to where we need to have our guys on their best game. And we've been lucky enough to hit a stretch here where everybody's playing at the top of their game. I, I can't name to you one player on this team right now that isn't firing on all cylinders. Caravan, Sonogo, Hawkins, Newton, uh, Jackson, Klingon, all of them. Everyone's coming. Everyone's showing up. Uh, and Shout-out to Dan Hurley, too, for a phenomenal coaching job. Yeah, I mean, it's really great to see this team uh, really exceeding expectations. You know, the beginning of this tournament, everybody thought that we were just losing the first round because that's what we've done the past couple of years. But it's it's great to see all these guys succeeding in March. You know, they've they've been through a tough slate. Uh, Hawkins, Jackson, Sonogo, you know, the veterans, obviously, especially Jackson, Sonogo, you know, losing twice in the first round. But it's also great to see those guys playing so good and with so much energy, but so calm, if that makes sense. Like Jackson's not jumping out of the gym or anything or losing the ball because he's dribbling, running too fast. You know, he's he's playing calm, but he's playing very well. And I think he's honestly, him and Sonogo are tied for our best best players this tournament. As good as Hawkins has been to even Newton, I think those two are definitely tied for the best player of this tournament. But it's great to see all these guys succeed, and, and we just need two more wins for that national title. Yeah, and this kind of feels like how it did at the beginning of the season at the Phil Knight Invitational. Um, we're kind of just dominating all these pretty solid non-conference teams. But the thing about it is this is the NCAA tournament. Um, it's a whole different ball game, and you're not supposed to dominate the way UConn has. You're not supposed to get a double-digit win and honestly perform better as it goes on. You're supposed to um, maybe get a double-digit win in your first round, and then the game should be a struggle from then on. But it really has not been, and they've made something that's very, very difficult um, to play at a level this high and to dominate the teams that they have. They've made something that's very difficult look kind of easy, and it's not easy at all. Um, the skill level is off the charts. Everyone's playing their best basketball. I really can't understate how good Andre Jackson has been. It was kind of an up-and-down regular season for him, but he's just playing some of the most smart basketball I've seen out of anyone in the tournament I think he has 41 assists and 38 rebounds throughout this entire tournament which is pretty unreal considering that's over the course of 
um, three games, three games, four games. I'm sorry. I'm not good at math. I can't do it in my head right now. Uh, this is kind of off the top of my head, but I just can't and under at understate his value. He really maybe have not have might've not been a draft pick this year, but he's starting to pick up NBA draft buzz. Um, a lot as this tournament's going on, and I'm happy for him, man. He deserves it. You know, and it's a lot of timely buckets, too. Uh, people don't really understand how important those are, especially in March. You know, you get uh, you go on a little scoring run, you're up five points, right? The other team comes down, scores. We see it every single game, and these games in March are all usually tight. The thing with this team is they have a lot of personalities, but the best kinds of personalities, a lot of confident personalities. One guy... No, we've we've talked about it a little bit all season as kind of being a little bit streaky, but we felt like he would come up big in this tournament is Joey Calcaterra. Joey Calcaterra is king timely bucket. He fe- it feels like whenever he comes out, you know, we're in a five to six point game. Whenever he comes out, he hits a three and the game changes. The way he comes out and he just changes the game is it's 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 incredible. Him and Aline, Aline, another player who we went through this season, you know, not really scoring all that well. He'll come out and he'll shoot three of five, one of two from three in a, in a in a tournament game like he did against Gonzaga. And it you can't understate how important that is to this team because, you know, you, you know you're going to get your points from Sonogo, from Hawkins, from Newton. We've talked about that all year. But it's when guys like Jackson come up with points, guys like Aline come up with points, guys like Joey come up with points, is when you really play in your best basketball. And we saw a lot of that when we were on our 14-0 and streak, especially a lot of Joey. Yeah, I just added it up quickly. Joey and Aline off the bench are combining to average 13 points per game in this tournament, which is close to those numbers we saw in the non-conference play. And I also want to highlight the defense real quick. Gonzaga going into the game and still currently, according to Ken Palm, is by far the best offense in the country. We held them to 54 points, by far a season low, and just 10% from three. That's really impressive. I was I was thinking this game, it'd be like 90 to 85 final. I figured it'd be a shootout, even though we have a solid defense, top 10 almost in the country. This Gonzaga's offense is that good with Drew Timmy, and we highlighted Timmy in our little mini half episode podcast I don't know if you guys watched that if you did you we, we all pretty much said Timmy we got to look out for he had 12 points which is his fourth lowest output this season he was in some foul trouble maybe a controversial I don't think it was controversial he elbowed Jackson in the face but a controversial early fourth foul in the second half really really set the tempo for us and for them they that was the turning point of the game and I just another interesting stat that kept on dropping on the broadcast and it just puts this into perspective that was Drew Timmy's 13th career loss, or 12th. I don't remember. It was one of the two, 13th or 12th, which is incredible seeing. it's He's played four years. He has 121 career wins, obviously. They went undefeated until the title game in 2021 against Baylor where they lost, and they also had a shortened season that year. So there's a couple, couple of outliers, but still, this 12 or 13 losses in a four-year career is absolutely amazing, and Obviously, we we figured it out. We held him. I f- I would say I don't have it in front of me here, but I'd say that was the worst loss he's taken in his four years by what twenty eight points. Yeah, and I remember I talked about in my pregame preview. I was a little concerned about uh who we would stick on Timmy, considering how dynamic he is as a uh, of a scorer. He can hit from the outside. He can get inside. He's very crafty, traditional post player. But I mean, Sonogo held it down. I would say uh, fairly easily. Uh, the size was. Uh, kind of the, the the deal breaker here. It seemed like he couldn't get anything going in the paint. Um, so Nogo, uh, shout out you for that fantastic defense. And I was talking about how much I was looking forward to that 
center matchup between Sonogo and Timmy. And Sonogo really just cemented himself as maybe the best center in the country after all anyone could talk about is Drew Timmy. For the last five years, any all anyone could talk about is Drew Timmy and how good he's been and how he's the best center in the country. They always say that. And Sonogo kind of just went in there and showed, uh, you know, I could play with this guy. I could play better than this guy. I could guard this guy. He can't guard me, even though Sonogo didn't play the best offensive game. Um, he really cemented himself there, in my opinion. And with how the NBA draft goes nowadays, we're looking we're looking at a very strong possibility of another year of Adama Sanogo next year. With the foul, you know, that was that's a weird call. I mean, Connor literally mentioned it in our group chat that if he got his fourth before I believe like the under 12 timeout, then the game was probably over. And I think he got it literally a minute after he had mentioned that. Um, it definitely was a foul. I mean, there was no no way you could argue against that. He elbowed Andre right in the face. But, you know, a lot of that, it's a tough time to call it. I'll say that, you know, 17 minutes left, best player gets a fourth foul. But he's got to have some kind of discipline. I mean, right? Like, you can't just be out here with three fouls flinging elbows all over the place. Like, you got to know, you got to feel for the guy because that definitely took the air right out of the zags. But you you got to play with some discipline here. A veteran like him can't just be throwing elbows around with three fouls, but I'm not going to say that's the reason why we won the game because we won by 28, and I don't think he was going to have 28 in the second half, but it definitely helped. Um, but, I mean, that's just how basketball works. You know, who knows? Sonogo could get four fouls in the first half against Miami, you know? So it's it's tough to blame games on something like that, but it's that's just how basketball works. And I want to touch upon the the draft that we talked about a little bit with Sonogo. Maybe he may not with the like the three point shot being so important for big men, especially. But Andre Jackson, I mean, he was probably the beginning of the year, a late first, early second round pick. Then he kind of fell off. But I feel like if you're a scout and you're looking at some of these NCAA tournament box scores, you're going to see a six six lengthy guard had nine rebounds and ten assists. <laughs> against one of the top teams in the country in a blowout win. I feel like, I mean, six offensive rebounds. He had eight points. He hit a bunch of dunks. I mean, how do you how do you not pick this guy? I feel like Jackson, I mean, I'd love to have him back. He said he'll be here for four years. He kind of hinted at that. I don't know if that's the case. If you go first round, I feel like you got to take that opportunity. But, I mean, I'm just I'm just surprised to see how well he's been playing. Not surprised to see how well he's been playing, but how well, how high his draft stock has gone up in this tournament. Yeah, and I, this might be a hot take, might not be, but Andre Jackson seems to be one of, if not the most coachable player in the country. And I feel like NBA teams are all over that kind of stuff nowadays, especially with his build, his size, his athleticism. It's very hard to see a world where a player like him doesn't have a lengthy NBA career. Uh, I figure, you know, once he gets into the NBA, there will be way more of an emphasis. He'll be able to do all this stuff full time. He'll be able to be in the gym however many hours he needs in order to practice his three-point jump shot, his mid-range jump shot, you know, just all the intangibles. But Andre Jackson has shown his willingness to learn to do anything for a team. And I, I feel like that that raises his draft stock even more, you know, being unselfish and being that player that wants to learn rather than being selfish and playing your own game and not really caring. And that's exactly why I think that Andre and Adama are going to take the route that I believe it was Tyler Pauly took where he put his name in the draft technically, but he was really only there to get the uh, the feedback from the NBA coaches. And he was, he knew he was coming back to Connecticut, but I feel like that's a thing 
that's something that those guys can do because at this point, Hawkins is just a lottery pick. You know, that's that's how it is. He'll be gone after this year. Um, so, I mean, Saturday might be his last game in a Husky uniform, which obviously would suck. But, you know, it's these guards come through here really, really quick. You know, him, Book Knight, guys like that. But guys like Adama and Andre, like Adama said in his interview, he wants to win more championships here. Andre mentioned that he wants to be here for four years. So those are guys that want to make the NBA but are UConn first. I'm not saying that Hawkins and Book Knight weren't UConn first, but I feel like I can see Andre and Adama taking the poly route and putting their name in the draft to get some advice from NBA scouts because both of those guys can play in the NBA in a couple of years for sure. Yeah, and this is going to sound a little weird, so bear with me here. But um, Andre Jackson, as far as NBA basketball goes, I feel like he could be – and he is right now kind of like a Draymond Green for our team. And I'm not saying play style wise. I'm not saying body type. I'm not saying athleticism. None of that. What I'm saying is he could be your best defensive player and at the same time be the quarterback for your offense and do all of the little things that contribute to winning um, and kind of just be the motor for your team. And I'm not saying he plays anything like Draymond Green. But what I am saying is that's the type of role he could have is just to be a guy who does all the little things while also running an offense. Some would say a taller, more athletic Marcus Smart. Now we're going to officially move on to this Final Four game. I mean, six Final Four ever for UConn. It still, still really hasn't hit me that they're in the Final Four. I mean, obviously, I've, I've, I've reached the point, yeah, we won the West region. We're going there. But, I mean, we're the top seed remaining in the Final Four. We're the four seed. Miami's a five. And on the other half of the bracket, you have – San Diego State, a five seed who won the South region in Florida Atlantic with Jalen Gaffney, who won the East region at MSG. We could very, very realistically could have UConn versus FAU, Jalen Gaffney National Championship game, which would be one of the greatest games in program history, one of the greatest games in the history of college basketball, if that matchup were to, were to happen. But what are you guys' thoughts on the Final Four field as a whole before we get into this preview? I can't stand the people who are saying like, oh, this is going to have a, a terrible viewership. You know, if, if you want to go to a final four, this is your time to go. All that blah, blah, blah stuff. There's some people on Twitter, which people watching this have probably seen people saying that, you know, these two fan bases don't have or these four fan bases aren't very strong. And this will be a terrible final four. No, it won't. Have you never seen UConn's fan base? the fan base that pretty much traveled as a group from New York City to Albany to Vegas and now to Houston. I mean, we're one of the biggest fan bases in the world. I mean, we've all been to UConn home games. Three of us have went on the road, you know. It's, it's a huge fan base, and I think that I know a lot of people from Twitter are going. I myself, unfortunately, can't make the trip, but, you know, we're going to travel well. We always have, and this is the first time, really, we've been – a contender for a national championship since 2014 because we were in a, a pretty dark place, you know. Thank you for that, Kevin Ollie. Um, but you know, Dan Hurley revived this program and people are really excited about that. So I I took that guy's take, whoever it was, I don't even remember, and put it right in the toilet because that was that was just stupid. But anyway, I mean, it's gonna be good. Just buckle your seatbelts. Yeah, and I have to agree. It's a little you know, people love to make assumptions as soon as they can, jump to conclusions. People saying this year that, oh, you know, this this Final Four is boring. It's 
you know, not a lot of the big teams playing are the same people last year who were complaining when it was Kansas, Duke, UNC, uh, whoever else I, I can't remember right now, but they, um, they, they were all complaining about that saying that it was just boring and that it's the same teams every year. So people really need to make up their minds as far as, you know, who they would rather, what they would rather see. And one thing that's been upsetting me a little bit here is um, some media outlets and some fans in comment sections saying there's no blue buds in this final four. I mean, besides UConn, there's no blue buds, but not calling UConn a blue blood is absolutely ridiculous. But the way I look at it is no matter who's in the final four, they're the final four teams standing. They had to go through your blue bloods. They had to go through all of the best teams, the teams that you thought were going to win to get there. And March Madness is kind of like a snowball. Um, You know, a team will really pick up and they'll start playing as a group and they'll just get to a point where it almost seems like they're unbeatable. Like no one loses the game. One team just wins. So all four of these teams can really play. And um, I think we'll have, we'll see a good, you can't take any of these teams lightly either. So I think we'll see a good final four here, even if it's not your typical teams, which I'm glad it's not because I get sick of that. Matt's point is exactly right. I mean, it's not like these guys, it's not like FAU picked out of the hat and selected that they went to the final four or a team like San Diego state got picked to go to the elite eight and had to play Georgetown to get to the final four. You know, these, these guys earned it. I mean, San Diego state knocked off Alabama and then Creighton two solid, really solid squads, not even to mention college of Charleston who really, really made an impact this year. They, they cracked the top 25, I think for a couple of weeks. Um, And then teams like FAU who eliminated Kansas state. um, It's just like, I don't get it with these people. Like, no matter what, these media guys are never going to be happy. You know, if it was all the one seeds, they won't be happy because it's too easy for them. But now we have this, where the highest seeds of four. We have a four, two fives, and a nine, I believe. And people are complaining that it's going to suck because all these teams aren't well known, you know. So nothing that this tournament ever does is going to please these guys. But I'm really excited to see teams that aren't looked at as the best teams in college basketball to be competing for a championship. Yeah. Like we said, all these teams, hundred percent deserve it. Like San Diego state, like Andrew, you mentioned they beat Bama. Bama was the number one overall seed and probably the favorite to win it all by most people in their brackets. Houston, Miami beat Houston, Houston, the final four in Houston. Everyone's saying, Oh, it's going to be Houston. It's, it's, it's a script. It's perfect. They're going to win in their city. And then FAU, obviously like, I guess they got a little lucky. They played Farley Dickinson as opposed to Purdue in that second round, but they had to beat Tennessee, who's a very solid team, and Kansas State with Marquise Noel, who was the best player in college basketball last weekend for a two-game span, averaged like what twenty-five and like seventeen assists in that in that Madison Square Garden regional. So I mean, all these teams deserve to be here, and it's going to be a very fun Final Four. I mean, FAU they have three losses; they're thirty-five and three, I believe. I mean, you can't tell me that team doesn't deserve it. And San Diego State, they're what thirty-one and six. They were thirty and two in the COVID year when it got cut short, they were going to be a one seed. They, they, they deserve this. Miami was in the elite eight last year. They're a good team. All these teams deserve it. And obviously us, but let's move on now to the Miami, Miami preview. We're a little pressed for time. We'll try to go a little quickly here. Uh, it's a number four seed UConn, number five, Miami and UConn and Miami. They were former big East foes in the old big East in the late nineties, early 2010, early two thousands. And the Huskies are 17 and eight all time versus Miami. The last, 
time we beat them was in 2019-20. That was in the Charleston Classic third place game. Team high 16 points for Josh Carlton and Cook Cook, six blocks. Christian Vital 14. And James Booknight in just his third career game had 13 points off the bench, as did Brendan Adams. So whole great team effort there. I remember that Charleston Classic real quick just to go off track. We played Xavier and a freshman, Zach Fremantle. I remember him from that game. That was a tough late-night overtime loss. But, yeah, that was the last time we played Miami in the Charleston Classic. And the Final Four, as we mentioned, is in Houston. The last four times we played a Final Four four in Houston, in Texas, we won it all. Or the last three times it was the fourth. So do with that what you will. And... The Jim Laranaga revenge game, potentially, for UConn, as you guys may know. 2006, Elite Eight, George Mason against the number one seed UConn, led by Rudy Gay. George Mason defeated us and ended one of our best seasons, one of our, one of our best teams, that 06 squad. So that was that was tough. Yeah, and this game to me, uh, coming up here against Miami, uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of a game that we came to earlier in the tournament against Arkansas. Um, they're kind of built similarly, but not at the same time. I would say, uh, they're way more efficient inside. Uh, but I mean, last game against Texas, there was no three point shot. If they can't hit that three point shot against us, it's going to look a lot different. They're not going to be able to score 88 points just due to our paint defense. We have too many bigs, uh, that they lack as well. They don't have much size. I hope we don't catch as much slack for this one as we did the last one, but, they do lack size. Their tallest uh, player who plays valuable minutes was uh, Norshad Omier, uh, if, I'm sure, if I'm pretty sure. He played uh, 28 minutes last game, 4-6, 11 points. Uh, if he's coming up against Sonogo, uh, I, I doubt those numbers look the same. And then, you know, the one-two punch clinging off the bench. So uh, they do have a lot uh, – a lot of scores as well. Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, just to name a few, two very seasoned guys. Uh, Isaiah Wong has seen, you know, deep runs before. So, you know, that does worry me. Isaiah Wong is a very good player, but um, I, I feel like this should have a similar flow to the game that we had against Arkansas. Yeah. And this is not a squad you could take like take lightly because everyone knows how seasoned and how much of a master of his craft um, Jimmy Larinag is. But that being said, this looks like another one of those games where just from a physical standpoint on paper, it seems like we have the advantage. Um, You know, we have rangier players. We have more versatile players, I could say, you know, like larger guys who could really play all over the floor. And we have a deeper bench. But like I said, Jim Laranega, one of the best coaches in college basketball, um, has done some spectacular things and he's been doing it for a while. He's really, really got these guys playing good right now. Um, Isaiah Wong is just such a great player, among other guys. Um, their starters are all so talented. And like I said, not the deepest bench. But um, I really like what I see on paper. But that means nothing right now. It's a one-game season. Yeah, you know, just to, just to be clear here, since apparently Matt and I weren't as clear as we should have been last time, we are talking about people who play here, um, and they are a little undersized. You know, we use that to our advantage in the Arkansas game. But the thing I really want to point out is that this team can shoot the basketball. You know, we haven't really run into teams who are like just have sharpshooters. I mean, Miami, I think they went 18 of 20 at the free throw line. 
Uh, that's 18 free points that just can't happen. Um, it's 18 points off the board probably if we don't foul. You know, there's going to be fouls. There's going to be free throws. I'm not expecting there to be no fouls. Um, but this team makes their free throws, and especially if we're trying to, you know, get get free throws to bail us out of giving up a bucket, you know, that's not going to work in this situation because I honestly trust Miami to miss the bucket more than I do to miss the free throws because these guys just shoot the, the ball so well. I mean, Isaiah Wong, I think, was perfect from the line in that Texas game. Uh, even from beyond the arc, they, they sink them. So we just – we really have to – I think we're going to switch to man-to-man for this game. Honestly, we might open in zone, see how it goes, but I think we'll eventually, if not start, be on to uh, on a man-to-man because Miami, if we leave them open, they're going to shoot the ball all night long. And I don't want to be trading threes for twos like we did a couple of times this season. So it's it's going to be tough, but we definitely have the size advantage, but they've definitely got the advantage uh, with the guards. But that'll be interesting to see who guards who. Yeah, Miami's looking like a team, you know, that's getting right at the hot time. Uh, you know, that matters a lot here. But, I mean, the one thing that the game against Texas showed me was that they can be exposed um, 100%. Any team in college could be exposed. And where I think that this game is going to really change uh, is just the the depth. Uh, you know, we, we say that so often. We say that. All the top analysts say that. The depth that we have – it's unmatched. There's no other team in this tournament with the depth that we have. There's no other team with guys who can come off the bench and make as big as an impact of our guys. And people haven't really talked about Donovan Klingon uh, all that much throughout this tournament. I just need to give him his flowers here for a second. The defensive impact he makes, even when he's not blocking shots, even when he's not scoring the ball, he is just such a force. Teams are scared to drive on our defense because of Donovan Klingon and it forces them into bad shots. Um, we need to see here if Miami, you know, falls into these bad shots because if they do, then I feel like, you know, they're going to they're gonna have to rely on their three-point shooting, which didn't go very well against Texas. And, you know, not, no team has really shot that well against us this year. So we'll, we'll have to see, especially with our perimeter defense. Yeah, and a little off topic, but it's just such a safety blanket that when our best player comes out of the game, um, our defense takes an incline for a little bit just so such a safety blanket this team is so well built this year yeah i've had i've seen miami play a couple times i saw them play against providence in the hall of fame tip off back it was in november but still the same group of guys they beat providence by 10 in that game and the very next day they got blown out by maryland they lost by 18 but it was a larger deficit than that at some points and they are they are a small team but you can't you can't look at them as a small team and say, oh, we're just going to body them inside. They have, you mentioned Norchad O'Meara. He's only 6'7", but he averages 10 rebounds per game. He had 16 double-doubles. He had 17 rebounds against Trace Jackson Davis in the round of 32, who's one of the best rebounders in the nation. So even though he's 6'7", he's an elite rebounder. I mean, you can't, I mean, obviously Arkansas was undersized in the front court. They had Johnson starting at center at 6'7". He only averaged like three or four rebounds per game. This is a legit, like, small ball center that I feel like we can't overlook. They also move the ball a lot. That's another thing that we do very well, which teams haven't been able to keep up with. We're at 17 assists. Uh, they're at 14. So they do a lot of similar things that we do in terms of moving the ball, in terms of getting uh, guys open. They even have a, a guy uh, 
with AJ, AJ Casey, I'm pretty sure it is, uh, shooting 40, or no, Christian Watson, shooting 42% uh, off the bench this year. So very much like a Joey Calcaterra. If I were Dan Hurley in practice this week, I would work on, I would have the team set up an offense. I'm going to see if, see if this makes sense, but have the team set up in an offensive formation and then have somebody at the top of the three-point line with the ball going the other way, acting like they stole it, and work on getting these guys back in transition. Because I noticed in that Gonzaga game right at the beginning, I mean, I'm going to call Caravan out. He's been fantastic, but I caught Caravan running around a little bit there, you know, just really not getting set in a position. Um, and Miami's going to make you run around, and they're going to tire you out to the point where we're really going to have to roll our bench when we don't want to. Um, and it's it's something that we've struggled with a lot, uh, getting back and then, not really getting set and giving up either really bad or bad chances to score or even really bad buckets. But I would, if I were Hurley, I'd just work on getting back in transition because it's something that Miami will do all the time. If, if they can read our passes and they know it, they'll, they'll punish us in transition. And that's just not what I want to see. We've talked a bunch about Isaiah Wong, but a name we really haven't mentioned yet. And one that really does scare me is Jordan Miller. He was a ACC second team this year, and against Texas, he didn't miss when he was trying to put the ball in the basket. Seven of seven from the field, thirteen of thirteen from the free throw line. He's a lengthy six 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 seven wing, average fifteen and six. He's experienced; it's his fifth year. He played three years at George Mason and two now in Miami. I mean, he's a guy I feel like can take over. He took over against Texas in the Elite Eight and led them to the victory. I think that leads me into my next point here with the matchups. Obviously, their starting line at Miami, six foot, six three, six five, six seven, six seven, we'll call it. I feel like Tristan Newton will be guarding Nigel Pack, the point guard. I mean, I feel like that's a given. I mean, and after that, Isaiah Wong, he's their best scorer overall. So I feel like we could see Andre Jackson on him potentially. But I'd almost rather see this throw Hawkins on him. I feel like he's a good enough defender, and I feel like Jackson will be better off on a guy like Miller, who's similar size to him and is more explosive. And that leaves Wuga Poplar, who's a sophomore guard, nine points per game, not really a threat from from outside. I mean, I feel like we could throw Caravan on him and survive there. I mean, he's not really an off the bounce type of guy. Thirty nine threes in thirty six games. So I I would personally put Caravan on him, but if they go the route with Jackson. Um, Wong, I feel like it just goes down the list. Uh, Jordan Hawkins on Luka Poplar and then Caravan on Miller, which I don't know how much I like that, seeing how some players like Bryce Hopkins or better fours have taken advantage of Caravan on, even though he's improved defensively. And we mentioned they're not that deep of a team compared to, well, especially compared to us, but they have Bensley Joseph as their sixth man. He's a, He's from Massachusetts, so he's a New England kid he's a 6-1 point guard averages five points per game in around 20 minutes they also have harlan beverly off the bench he's a 6-6 guard who's played in every game he only averages three points per game and he's a poor shooter from outside and inside down low also similar to the arkansas game with the depth at center they don't really have too much outside of their main guy nor chad omir they have anthony walker and aj casey they're each 6-9 and they combine to average four points per game in around 16 minutes so we definitely have them in the bench department for this one. I feel like overall they're a very solid team that if they get hot, like Nigel Pack in the Sweet 16 versus Houston hit seven threes. I mean, it, they have guys that can heat up. Isaiah Wong had 36 points in the game earlier this year. 
we mentioned Jordan Miller, Omir. They all have guys, if they get hot, they can take over games, which scares me a little bit, but I feel like we'll be okay. We do have to just touch on the depth. You know, the depth of this team has really come in clutch. You know, when a guy like Timmy has to go out, uh, our depth just comes in, cleans them up. When Gonzaga has to sub, you know, really no team. I think we have the best bench in college basketball, in my extremely humble and non-biased opinion. Um, but we've really shown that we can use that bench to an advantage because usually, like, it was the bench making the run. I mean, except uh, Sonogo and and maybe Hawkins. But, you know, guys like Calcaterra, Aline hitting threes in that Gonzaga game, um, they really, really showed why we have the one of the best, if not the best, bench in college basketball. And this will be a game where we could use that to our advantage if we have Miami running. Um, but this is also a game where Miami could use that to our advantage and just completely um, destroy our not-so-great, I'll call it, defensive players. So this, I think this is going to be the best game of the entire tournament for us, in my opinion. Um, but we, we've we got to be in our A game here. We just We can't make mistakes. We'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. I certainly believe this will be our closest game of the tournament Our that would beat our 15-point win against St. Mary's. I still feel like we can beat this team by double digits. I'm not saying we will, but seeing the trend, I, I thought we'd potentially lose to Gonzaga in that offense, but we won by 28. So clearly my expectations are a little low for this team. And really the last point I want to make about Miami for this for this little preview here. Looking at Ken Palm, UConn has the third best offense in the country and the 11th best defense. Miami, fifth best offense, so we're both top five, and so that should be interesting. But they have the 104th best defense, and it's always a saying, defense wins championships. We say it all the time. Obviously, our defense shined against a great offensive team in Gonzaga and dominated them. So that's that's part of the reason why I'm more confident in this one. Yeah, and I was about to say, to the point of the offense, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Gonzaga was number one in um, Ken Palm in offense, and I think we played our most complete defensive game of the season against Gonzaga. We guarded them better than we were guarding St. John's this season in Georgetown, and you know how bad Georgetown is. So, um, you know, I think our defense is really just clicking at the right time here. But like I said, it's a game-by-game thing. Um, Obviously, it was just not Gonzaga's night, but – um, we've proven that we can guard the best offenses in college here. Yeah, I said that pretty much right after the game. I mean, I mean, we've lost to St. John's at home at XL Center. We got blown off the court. They were out hustling us every time we lost by, I think, 13 points. And then just less than two months later, or around two months later, we go out west in the West Regional Final and beat Gonzaga by 28 points. I mean, it's crazy to think those are in the same season, let alone in like each in the second half of the season. I mean, who could have seen that coming? Obviously, Dan Hurley and the staff did, and they're in the final four. So before we wrap up here, I don't like let's do some quick predictions for this final four. Obviously, I assume we're all going to choose UConn to advance to the championship, but what do we got? I'll go actually, I'll go first. I'll say we win against Miami, and we're going to get the Jalen Gaffney revenge game of the ages, and I think we handle FAU title number five uh obviously i'm gonna say we win um it's hard for me to go against san diego state right now i think they've been so good and i think that they've been um really playing good basketball for a lot of years now and they deserve a shot at the national title and then i ultimately think that if uconn beats miami they're good enough to beat both of those teams so i think uconn's gonna win this final four here and that's just my unbiased opinion 
Here's an interesting one. Uh, I think that we're going to beat Miami, and it's going to be very high scoring, like Connor thought the Zag game would be. I think this is going to be in the high 80s for both sides. Um, I think this is going to be our worst defensive game, but best offensive game, um, which will be interesting. And I think we'll play San Diego State. And that one, the total points will be under 120. That's going to be a defense game because San Diego State's defense is just elite. Um, but I think our offense is good enough to overpower it. But I got us beating Miami and a high score and then beating San Diego State for title number five and a low score. There's no such thing as a sure thing uh, in college basketball. But I'm saying it. If we beat Miami, there it's the closest thing to a sure thing that we wrap this up because all the teams that we've beaten, in my honest opinion, are better, more dominant teams than the teams on the other side of the bracket. Not, not, neither of them scare me, San Diego State nor FAU, as much as Gonzaga does, as much as Arkansas did, as much as Miami does. Uh, you know, that might be a little bit due to my inexperience on their game, but I know a little bit about San Diego State, and I know they've been around for a while, and I know they've been waiting for this, so I do think they beat FAU. I do think they give us some trouble. I feel like if we win this game, the national championship will 100% be the closest game throughout the tournament, decided by less than five points. San Diego State's a good team. They're a great defensive team, and they are experienced, which people don't talk enough about in March. The experienced teams hang up the banners, not the teams filled with freshmen, not the teams filled with five stars, the teams that play together for years at a time. So I, I do think that it will be us against San Diego State, and it will be a down-to-the-wire kind of, you know, grudge match, but I do think we pull it out. I think we're on too much of a hot streak now, too. Yeah, San Diego State, they're similar to us. They play nine guys all the time. They all nine guys play at least 15 minutes. And out of those nine, I was doing some research about them, seven seniors, two juniors. So they're definitely experienced, and I agree. They are the better team than FAU, but I feel like FAU, their offense, I mean, they played a great defensive team in Tennessee in the Sweet 16, and they just found a way to stop Tennessee from scoring at like halfway through the second half to get the win. So I feel like FAU is going to ride that momentum, but that's going to be a very good game. And like Andrew mentioned, a low score in the national championship, maybe some UConn Butler 2011 in Houston vibes where the total was, what, 90-something points. I mean, I could easily see that happening because we have a great defense as well as them, and they don't have a great offense, and we do. So I I feel like that could be that could be definitely possible to be low scoring. I was thinking that as well. I think that'll just about do it here. Episode 33, the last episode before the final four. It's crazy to say. I, I'm actually blessed I'll be in Houston for the final four. Not sure if we make the championship, if I'm able to stay yet. I hope, I'm really hoping that's the case, but I hope we get there more than anything. But yeah, it should be a very fun week for the team in Houston. Everybody, all the UConn fans, it's going to be amazing. I mean, We've worked so hard, this team, I say we like I'm starting point guard, but we've worked so hard over the offseason. Hurley's rebuilt this program to this point, and it's it's great to see the results finally happening. One last thing, you know I got to do my my Twitter shout-out, but this one's going to go to the, the milkman there on Twitter, Ghost Mike Toscano, who said that, you know, he hates when people say – uh. You know, they use a team to describe as we, and then somebody asks what position we we play. Um, what this fan base has been through um, in recent years, you know, hasn't been easy from 2014 to 18, and even kind of before that. But, you know, the way we've supported this team for years and years, and especially this season, you know damn well that's our team, our family. So if you're going to Houston, 
as Penfield's friend told me, be obnoxious, 